You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. Today's the first day of a series we're going to call Root 66. We're going to make one stop in each of the 66 books for the next 20 weeks or so. (sighs) I know where I'm going every week from now on for the next 20 weeks or so. However long it takes me to get there. We're going to take two or three stops a week or four sometimes. And I'm going to teach you the most important verse out of each book. Now there are a lot of important verses and this is a hard thing to do. Hard thing to do. But I'm going to teach you the most important verse out of each of the 66 books of the Bible. Now listen to me. You may find somebody who disagrees with me on which are the most important ones. And if I were given given much of a challenge, I might change my mind next week on which one is the most important in a given given book. But I believe that I have found the 66 most important verses in the Bible. The most important verses of each book. That's what we're going to say it. That's what we're going to say it. Because I'm not picking Genesis 15.6. For those of you who study the Bible with me on Wednesday evenings, you know Genesis 15.6 is the centerpiece of Paul's doctrine. He pulls out that God made Abraham righteous by faith because of Abraham believing God. He was made righteous. Paul takes that thought of Genesis 15, 6 and builds all of New Testament theology, basically. You understand that? That's not the verse we picked for Genesis. I'm going to wait and talk to you about that in Romans, probably. Probably Romans is going to, that's going to come out. But there is another important verse in Genesis, and it's Genesis 1. One. We have to start with Genesis 1, 1. And it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We start with the doctrine of God. And this Route 66, milepost 1, is God. Why do we believe in God? Why do we believe in something? And why does our book start with, In the beginning, God? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? In the beginning, God establishes that this is a faith book right off the bat. This is a faith book. Now, you may think you believe in science and you believe in evolution and that it all happened by chance. There's nothing to prove that at all. And the more more scientists study this, the more of them believe in in what's something called ID, intelligent design. They won't all admit that he's God. This intelligence behind the creation is God. They won't all admit that. Some of them think it's, it's maybe intergalactic beings who potted us here. You know what I mean by pod? They planted a pod of, of their kind here. And they were really descendants of a super race from some other planet. Really? Really? You've got that kind of faith, but you can't believe that the Bible's true, that God just created the world? That an invisible God 
created the worlds and they believe in, in, in at least 11 dimensions. If I, if I studied it right, and I'm talking like this with, with, with Chuck in the house, and I know he knows everything about all this. <laughs> but scientists have studied and physicists are saying that we know three dimensions, maybe four, but they talk about 11 dimensions at least that they've, that they've found through, through, through calculus, you know, in the astro, astrophysical sciences. They are uh, geniuses, these guys. And all of them, listen to me, almost all of them past the, the three are invisible dimensions. Oh. So who believes more in the invisible? The Christian or the scientist? I believe in the invisible world. I believe in the invisible God. The invisible God who can, who can make himself visible if he chooses. But this Bible says, in the beginning, God. You have to believe in God. Let me say that if you're an atheist here today, or if you know an atheist, anybody know an atheist? Look, look how many Americans here. Bible Belt, Bible Belt Christians know atheists. You're, you're acquainted with some atheists. Okay, now let me, let me tell you, I'm not going to pick on you atheists if you're in the, in the room. I'm not picking on you today at all. I just want you to hear my side. Just hear my side. You're here, you may as well listen to me. Kenny, how long were you an atheist before you came here to this church? Quite a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Kenny was my first convert here. Out of atheism. Out of atheism. Out of atheism. One of the things I explained to him that shocked him and, and he started thinking about it. And he's used it on his friends already. Is the word atheism or atheist. That means you must believe in theism to even define who you are. Atheism. You cannot define who you are without the existence of God. Theism is in your definition of who you are. Atheism. I can define who I am without any mention of you. I can define who, who I am without any dimension of how you define yourself. I believe in God. Yeah. It has nothing to do with atheism. I don't have to attach myself to you in any way. Which means what I believe is superior to what you believe. If you're dependent upon my existence to define yourself, yeah. you're dependent upon me. And you're dependent upon God. Amen. This is just pure... Um, you like logic? There's just some logic you've got to eat. You know it's true. Your heart tells you that I'm right. Not just I'm right. God was right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm helping you family, my family here, my faith family, helping you with those people that you know. Being smart with them won't, won't help you. But being factual will. Make them understand that they are believing in something. They're just choosing not to believe in the God of the Bible. Everybody believes in something. Everybody has faith in something. Never, listen to this, here's you some facts. Never in the history of archaeology or anthropology have archaeologists or anthropologists ever studied a secular society. They have never studied one secular society. You know why they don't study, study them? Because they've never found one. They do not exist. Secular societies do not exist in archaeology or anthropology. No place have they ever found, unearthed anywhere, 
in a secular society, every society in history has always worshipped something. Now, they didn't worship necessarily the God of the Bible, but they worshipped something. There's always been this worship in man. And uh, because they've never found one, they didn't have one to study. Secular societies do not exist. I'm going to say that again. Secular societies do not exist. In the beginning, God. He was before the beginning, and He created our beginning. One, uh, th when this came up in a debate one time a number of years ago, one noted uh, secularist and atheist. Now listen to me. If you tell me you're agnostic, I have more respect for you. I have more respect for an agnostic than an atheist, because an atheist says there is no God. Yeah, you can't know a thing like that. That's pure arrogance talking. Pure arrogance. But an agnostic now is someone who just says, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. That's, 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 that's more honest. I can deal with that. Are you understanding me? If your friend's agnostic, you say, okay, I, I can understand that. I can, I can reason with that. Let me, let, me, let me just hear my point of view. You need to hear my point of view. Because you think you've heard it just because you've been to church. You think you've heard it just because you've watched television, saw some idiot preacher scolding you because you're a sinner. We don't preach turn or burn here. If you, if you, want, if you, want, if you want hardcore preaching against sin, you're not going to get it in this church. Jesus died for our sins. That's all you're going to hear from me. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. and He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Are you listening to me? That's what you're going to hear. Your sins have been forgiven if you just receive it by faith. Amen. But this one noted atheist said, well, the reason for that is, the reason why there are no secular societies, when man comes out of the womb, here's what they say. This one did anyway. It wasn't Richard Dawkins. Y'all know who Richard Dawkins is? Famous atheist, one of the greatest atheists today. He's not, great, not a great man, but a great atheist. <laughs> Richard Dawkins thinks we're all in deceptions. He thinks we're all just stupid for believing in God. And that's kind of the common thing. You'll, you'll find that the common thread amongst atheists toward you is that you're just stupid. Now, I don't know what they do with Albert Schweitzer. I don't know what they do with Madame Curie and all these other great geniuses who are smarter than any of these bozos who believe de de deeply in God. I don't know how they say it's ignorance. But this one said, well, when man comes out of the womb, he's struck with a sense of awe at creation. Now, a sense of awe, it has a definition. It's an, the inability to comprehend, therefore producing great respect and admiration. A sense of, of desperate uh, respect born from the inability to comprehend something. Like if you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, you think, oh, have you ever stood on the Grand Canyon? You lose your sense of perspective, don't you? You just kind of, ooh, ooh don't stand too close because you can just fall right in because your head kind of swims a little bit. Think, wow, this is awesome. That's the first thing everybody ever says. It's awesome because our minds can't hardly take, take a hole in the ground that big. Can't hardly take it in. My son, uh, when he was in high school, he, he was about, about 15 years old. I had never been to the Grand Canyon. I just knew it was the biggest hole in the ground. <laughs> And he came back. He said, Dad, I almost fell in the Grand Canyon. I said, what? Did you just not see that big old hole? 
How'd that happen? How'd you almost fall into the biggest hole in the world? You didn't see it? He said, no, it's weird. He said, I was standing on the edge. It was just like a Three Stooges movie. He said, I was standing on the edge of the canyon. My friend was taking a picture of me. He said, step back. He said, I'll step back. He said, step back. He said, I'll step back. He said, the next time, he says, go back a little further. He said, my, my, my foot hit air. He said, I just almost fell into the Grand Canyon. get a sense of awe around creation. I've, I, and I think that's a pretty sensible argument on the part of this guy. Except here's the problem. He said, and this sense of awe makes you believe there must have been somebody here before me to create all this. Somebody bigger than me that did all this. And it's an erroneous thought. The, second, the first thought we have is a sense of awe. And the second thought he says is a sense of that there must have been a creator. Now, why would we logically go there? And based on the definition of what awe is, listen to me, listen to me. A lack of understanding, lack of, uh, of ability to comprehend. That means, that means, that means this. That we can't. We, 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 we can't think logically because we're too stupid, so our stupidity translates that into a belief in a deity. Our lack of ability, our stupidity, not, not craziness, not, but, but ignorance and stupidity. And this is what the atheist believes most of the time. Only stupid people believe in God. And there's some of the greatest geniuses that ever lived believed in God, but they don't take that into account at all. Yeah. How do you explain that? You can't. Now here's the thing. If, my, now here's an argument I, I constru constructed for this thought. If stupidity and ignorance is what makes us believe in God, using their model of evolution, Regressively down the evolutionary chain, shouldn't the dog be more religious than us? Shouldn't the worm be more religious than the dog? Shouldn't the one-celled amoeba that doesn't even have a brain be the most religious radical in the whole wide world? If stupidity is really what causes it, if lack of understanding is what causes it, shouldn't the stupidest thing be the most religious? And while anthropologists and archaeologists have never uncovered even one secular society, at the same time they have never found evidence one time, never, never ever found evidence that animals worship. Yes. Animals do not worship. And they're stupider than humans. Where's the logic in this thinking? There is no logic in thinking that it's a sense of awe. Just an inability to comprehend so we erroneously arrive at God. Find me one secular society and I'll change my mind. Find me one case of an animal worshiping and I'll change my mind. But until then, I'm going to think I'm right. Atheism cannot be defined without theism. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. Let's turn there. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. 
Can you put that up on the big screen? 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it to them. What this is telling you is, to God there's no such thing as an atheist. There are only those people who do not like to think about him and want to try to get him out of their minds and out of their hearts some way. If you're wrestling with this, think about it. Be honest with yourself. The reason why you, you doubt there being a God is because you've been hurt, you've been enraged, you've been mistreated. Somehow you found cause, you found reason to be angry with God and with the church. And it's easier for you just to say, I don't believe in God. Our heart goes out to you today. If you're hearing this on tape today, and these people in this church know you, they're giving you this tape. This, this, I, I, you can tell I'm old. I'm just saying tapes. They're giving you this CD. They're giving you this CD because they, their heart goes out to you. They want you to believe the truth. And be honest with yourself. The real reason you say that you don't believe in God, when God doesn't believe in atheists. And you, say, you saying you don't believe in Him will never make Him go away. He will never go away because of what you say. And He will never stop dealing with you as long as you have loved ones around you who pray for you. You might as well give in. You might as well give up. You might as well just give it over and say, I'm done, man. I'm through running. I'm through hiding. I'm through lying to myself. Because you are lying to yourself when you do this. And one day you'll know for sure. This is the warning to you. One day you'll know for sure that in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. If the beginning started with God, your ending is going to have you dealing with God. If there was a beginning, there's certainly going to be an end. And He's going to be at both ends. You will have to deal with Him one way or the other. It doesn't matter how many times you say, you say, I don't believe in Him. He's not going to go away. If there was a beginning, there's going to be an end. It's the only warning I have. Get right with Jesus today. Let me tell you something. I'm not even concerned about the end. I'm not a bit concerned about my end. Because Jesus died for me. And I believe that. You get, you get saved today. You come to Jesus today on the basis of, of knowing God. And knowing that there's an end coming. Because there was a beginning. There's got to be an end. You put your trust in Jesus. You don't have to even be concerned about your end. Amen. He's already been to hell and back for you. He loves you just like you are. Even though you've blasphemed Him, even though you've called Him names, even though you said you didn't believe in Him, if today you say, wait a minute, I changed my heart. I believe in Jesus. I heard the Word and faith came to me. Glory to God. Just like Pastor Israel said, when you hear the message, faith is in this message. So this message carries the faith for you to be saved today. For you to be right with God. Amen. Because Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And whoever believes this message is a child of God, becomes saved instantly. It's not, not about joining the church. not about knowing anything. It's just about believing that simple message. It's this proof that God wanted us all saved. And notice verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. That means it's already re revealed. How wrathful God can be, could be, is revealed. It was in the Old Testament. And most of what he talks about here is defining what happened in the Old Testament. Because nowadays, 
Something other than wrath has been revealed. What's been revealed? Let's read the centerpiece of Paul's doctrine now. Amen. The centerpiece of Western civilization is to back up two verses to, chapter, to verse 16 in Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. So what's revealed today? The righteousness of God, that is the gift of righteousness to everyone who believes. That is the revealed message of God today. Not the wrath of God today. That was revealed. That's already been revealed. That was revealed all through the, New, the Old Testament. The New Testament says, now the righteousness is re revealed. The gift of righteousness that comes by faith comes one way, praise God. doesn't come a whole bunch of ways. It comes one way, by believing. And you have to start with, in the beginning, God. God. If there is a God, and there is, we must all deal with Him some way. And saying He doesn't exist doesn't deal with Him at all. That just postpones your judgment. This is in verse 20 of chapter 1 of Romans. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clear, clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are, are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. Richard Dawkins, they became fools. Stephen Hawkins. Talking. Some of the greatest men, 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 mental giants ever, but they're twisted on this one point. They don't know where they came from. Alien pods, crystals with, with, with bacteria on them. Are you kidding? Where'd they come from? Y'all heard all that stuff, haven't you? Get your own dirt. Amen. Romans 1.22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. This is why you must humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And all that means is to profess that He is and that He loves you. He wants you in His family. He loves you. He wants you in His family. It doesn't matter how many times you've blasphemed. It doesn't matter how many times you've denied Him. He loves you. And He wants you in His family. Come on, look at somebody and say, He loves you and He wants you in His family. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Exodus chapter 12, let's take our second stop. This will probably be as far as we get today. I haven't, I haven't had it planned to have four-mile posts to you, but I'm too long-winded for that. So Exodus 12, 13. Exodus 12 and verse 13. The most important verse in Exodus is this one. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13. God says to Israel, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. You remember the death angel was going to pass over all of Egypt, even the land of Goshen. And God 
told them the way out of this spiritual death and this physical death, really. The way out of this death was through the blood of a lamb. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Have you ever heard the term in the Jewish world, Passover? That's what they're talking about this night. This became the first day of the first month of their year. They started their own calendar right here, right now. The first day of the first month of their year is Passover. Ooh, that's powerful. Maybe, the seventh, maybe this was the seventh day of the first month. But anyway, this became the first month of their year. He said, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now what he, what he did was, he says, when I see the blood. Now what they had to do was take a lamb into their home, kill the lamb, slaughter it, prepare it to eat, and take the blood of the lamb, even though there's blood all over the kitchen, they took the blood of the, of the lamb and posted it on the doorpost of the, the front door of their house. And it made a cross. One, one spot of blood on the top, one on either side. And if you connect the dots, <laughs> it's a cross. Now, the, the Jews didn't like that. They, they don't want to talk about that, but that's what happened. If you could connect the dots, you would have a cross over the doorway. You see this carried through in our tradition, in the Christian tradition. Virtually every door has a cross on it. You notice, what, you notice that? You know how they make front doors, doors in your home. How many of you have doors in your home that have crosses on them? They just build them that way. Why? Because our tradition says there should be a cross in the doorway. There's a cross in the doorway that started their life, started their nation. And they, they were just a big family. They were just a great big family in Egypt. But when they came out of Egypt, they became a great nation. Starting with three million people, about two to three million and uh, that blood represents, is a foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus, which when he was killed, his blood was shed on the cross, on the ground. It was everywhere. It touched, it touched the earth that had been cursed and redeemed the earth back for, for man who, those who will trust God by faith. It took all the curse away. But remember that blood was not enough where it was shed. It had to be transported to a higher place. Yeah. Woo! Had to be transported to a higher place. So God could see it on the doorway. If, God, if the death angel saw it in the house, it's too late. He's in the house. Somebody's going to die. The firstborn's going to die. But since our firstborn has died and risen from the dead, his blood not only touched the earth, but he took that blood, took of that blood, and took it to glory and posted it on the mercy seat in heaven. Amen high above our heads. Amen. So that when God sees that what God wants, the blood God had to see was the blood on the door. The blood posted high. And now Jesus stands there, sits there as the man, son of man on our behalf. Amen. With his own blood there. And the father says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That means he's looking at the blood right now. Right now, the father's looking at the blood and he's passed over all of mankind for their sins. Every sin that every man ever committed has been taken away by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Every, every sin. So you, you can't out the grace of God. You can't out the blood because evil isn't near as evil as good is good. Amen. 
Evil is not near as evil as good is good. Good is so much more powerful. Forgiveness is so much more powerful than, than, than sin. And you hear some preachers preach, they act like sin is the worst thing in the world, and it is a bad thing. That can, that, that there's no, no there's, there's uh, barely enough grace to get you saved. You know, just, just barely enough now. No, it's just ridiculous. Grace is so much more powerful than sin. A ton of sin won't even touch an ounce of grace. Amen. Can I have a good amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to do another one. Let's move on to Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17. I'll tie these two together a little bit. Most important, most important verse in Leviticus is Leviticus 17 11. 17 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood... And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. The life of the flesh is in the blood. We have to ask, ask ourselves the question, why is Christianity and Judaism, why are they such bloody religions? If you want to call them a re religion, I don't like it, but we're classified as a religion. Why so much talk about blood when Buddhism doesn't talk about it like that? Islam does a little bit, but not anything like Judaism and, and Christianity does. Why so much talk about blood? A number of years ago, one of the largest mainline denominations took all the references to blood out of their, out of their, out of their hymnals. Because they said, we don't need a slaughterhouse religion. They no longer believed in the blood for their redemption. They no longer wanted to sing about it. No, no, no longer wanted to, to, to glorify the, the precious blood of Christ. But the blood of Christ is the only way to be saved. Why? Because it helps us here, helps us to present our petitions to God like nothing else. Listen to me. The first mention of the word blood is found in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10. Genesis 4.10, the very first mention of the word blood is here. When God says it, God uses the word blood. He asks Cain, where is your, your brother Abel? And, and uh, Cain says, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God says, and he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. This, this is an important point in the Bible. Your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now what man had lost was not the ability to hear God's voice. As so, so many Christians are so messed up on this, we think you can't hear God's voice. I don't know why I can't hear the voice of the Lord. Because you've been brainwashed. If you're saved, you, you know the voice. You are the, vo the voice of the Lord. Yeah. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. How can you not hear His voice? You've just been taught not to recognize His voice. That's all. Jesus said, My sheep know My voice, and another they will not follow. You're one of the sheep. You know His voice. You can hear His voice. Amen. I know the Lord. Come on, let's say it together. I know the Lord. I know His voice. What we lost was not the ability to hear God's voice. 
Did Adam hear God's voice the day he sinned? Oh, yes, he did. And he didn't want to. But he heard it. Adam, where are you? Ah! I'm naked as a jaybird. He, he wasn't naked. He was naked. Y'all know naked's nakeder than na naked. He was bare, bare naked. Naked. And he was afraid because he heard God's voice. Hearing God's voice, God didn't do anything wrong. He has a right to speak. What Adam lost was the ability to talk back to God. That's what he really lost. Because he said, I was afraid. Wait a minute, wait a minute. God said, oh, wait a minute. Who told you you were naked? God wouldn't even get into the fear discussion. Wouldn't even get into the fear discussion. Didn't want to talk to him about fear. I, I was afraid and I hid myself. This is not the language of God. This is not how you talk to God. Don't go to, don't, don't go to the Lord talking to him about your fear. You're going to get rebuked. Every time the apostles showed fear, they didn't, Jesus didn't come here, poor little Peter. I'm so sorry you're afraid. Come up here, son. Come here, Peter boy. Man, oh man, I, 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 don't, I don't blame you for being afraid. One time I was afraid of myself and I'm God. No, he, he, he didn't do that, did he? No. I heard, heard a prophecy, a wrong prophecy. Somebody said, fear, great fear, the say of the Lord upon the land. Great fear. So much fear that I, even I, the Lord your God, am afraid. <laughs> no. No, God, that was wrong. God's never afraid. Nope. He doesn't, doesn't even want to talk about fear. He calls fear sin. Yep. Thank you, Peter. You're welcome, Francis. God never deals with fear. He tries to pull you into faith. He's always going to keep telling you the truth so you can overcome your own fear with faith. Are you hearing me? Oh, God, I'm so afraid. Well, do something about it then. Do something about your fear. Don't talk to me about fear. I've got no, no remedy. No other remedy than what you already know. My word. My word. My word is your, is your answer to fear. Amen. You don't have to talk to God about fear. Just stop being afraid. Amen. You're talking, I, I'm talking, I'm talk, you're looking at somebody who's been afraid. I've been afraid enough for all of you in this, in this room. I had to learn how to deal with fear. Amen. Amen. Every challenge you, you're faced with, and I'm faced with a big challenge right now. I'm walking by faith. I'm not a bit afraid. I stay happy, joyful. Every time I think about my challenge, I just get joyful and happy and worship God. Staying in faith. Because fear doesn't do anything but make everything worse. I was afraid, he said, so I hid myself over here. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit that you, I told you not to? Yeah, the woman you gave me, gave it to me. The woman, that woman, it's her fault. And your fault for giving her to me. Wow. Is this how you talk to God? No. no, he completely forgot how to talk to God. He had lost the ability to talk to God. Till Paul, we find it even in the New Covenant. Paul says, we do not know how to pray like we should. But the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. Peter, who had never had anything common or unclean in his mouth, one time asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. You're a born Jew and don't know how to pray. You're 30 years old and don't know how to pray. 
What in, is in the world is wrong with you? That's what we lost, people. That's what we lost. We must, we must be taught again how to pray. Well, but, but listen to this. You have an apostle. Hebrews 3.1. Hebrews 3.1 says. Now consider, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. What we profess, what we say to God, what we profess in this world, we have somebody seated in blood who's speaking on our behalf. The very first mention of the word blood told us the real story. God heard the blood speaking. Adam didn't hear it. Eve didn't hear it. Cain didn't hear it. But somebody heard the blood talking. The blood spoke. The blood spoke. That's how we, why our religion is full of blood. Because we believe that that's how we get to God. That's how we get our prayers answered. Because when you name the name of Jesus, He is the only part of God that ever had blood. When you use His name, it's like using the blood. They, don't, they didn't apply the blood in the new covenant. They didn't say, we apply the blood to this situation. They didn't do that. They just used that powerful name. And when, when God Almighty hears that name, He hears the blood speak on your behalf. Glory to God. Come on, somebody say amen. That's good. The life of the flesh is in the blood. We believe this so much, we still take communion and call that grape juice the blood of Christ. It's still speaking today. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We've traveled three mile posts today. You can see this is going to take a while. We only have 63 left to go. It's going to take a little while. But you're going to like this. Tell your friends they don't want to miss any part of this. All right? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. I thank you, Jesus, that you, that you brought us into faith with the first line in the beginning, God. Then you taught us about your blood and about the nation of Israel how Passover worked for them and how the blood is posted high above us for our good so that when you see the blood, you pass over us. And, and, and the reason then you gave us for having the blood applied to our lives is so that our prayers will make sense to God and we can talk to God the right way again. Thank you, Father, for this, these people gathered here today. In Jesus' name, I pray for everyone who's under the sound of my voice, especially those who need to know you as Savior today. I pray for their hearts to be open, to come to faith in Christ, to make a real commitment, and to just believe the gospel of Jesus. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is strong enough to save a man and change a man forever.